This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by the Writing Mastery Academy. Founded by Jessica Brody, author of the best-selling plotting guide, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. The Writing Mastery Academy features online, on-demand writing courses, including the official Save the Cat Writes a Novel companion course, novel fast drafting, crafting dynamic characters, and productivity hacks for writers to name just a few, plus monthly live webinars on various writing topics. Go to jessicabrody.com slash hank to learn more and get your first month of unlimited access to all the content for just $6. That's right, just $6. jessicabrody.com slash hank. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret White. Terry Brooks. Sheena Kamal. Matthew Quick. J.T. Ellison. Walt D. Williams. Brad Ford. Corey Doctorow. Brandon Sanders. Robin Mom. Ernest Klein. Jim Butcher. Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Vari McFarlane on the show. She has an amazing new book. It's called Just Last Night, and uh, when we're recording this, it is release day for uh, for that book. And uh, this is something that I know that you're going to absolutely fall in love with. Uh, this is a must-have in your to-be-read pile for the spring and going into summer. Welcome to the show, Vari. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Um, Vari, we begin each show with the same question. And yep. that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, wow. Um, I think... Uh, off the top of my head, this is the this is the best I can do on the hoof. Um, but uh, I think that it was writing a story called The Adventures of Snaily Snail about a snail <laughs> when I was about, oh, God, six or seven or something. This is the kind of thing where your parents are actually better testimony than you. Uh, I think my mother would remember all about it, but I'm pretty sure I designed the jacket artwork. Uh, and, uh, you know, demanded that, that my parents listen to me read it. <laughs> uh, it's not a lost masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you that you, uh, you know, envision the, the entire product, uh, you know, cover and all. That's that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> I think I knew a publishing deal wasn't coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> were you a bookish kid, uh, Vari? Were, were you one of those kids that walks around with her nose in a book all the time? Yeah, I I was. I mean, it's it's the cliche, isn't it? And, and you know, I'm, a lot of children do that, and they don't go on to particularly want to write. Um, but yes, I, I did, and I was quite precocious as well. My my mum had a lot of um, kind of like 1980s sort of feminist literature and essays and politics stuff, and I would just nose through that. I mean, one of the funny things about books is is we don't really well, they, we don't we don't in Britain, and we didn't in my household don't particularly age protect them. Um, so I could just, you know, obviously what I was and wasn't allowed to watch on TV was quite carefully monitored. But if I got into the the parental study, I could get my hands on anything I liked. Um, and I remember reading uh, the book White Palace, 
um, which was made into a film with Susan Sarandon. I think it's about, um, and Jane Spader, it's about a younger man having an affair with an older woman who's a waitress, a diner waitress. And um, it was quite inappropriate. And I, I must have read that when I was about, I don't know, I was probably reading that when I was about 11 or something. Um, so, I, yeah, I got a lot of kind of, you know, perhaps it wasn't all information I was meant to have, but I got a lot of ideas. Um, and I remember at a really young age, noting that the sentences are liked, um, which is quite interesting to look back. I now realise that that my little brain, my little half-formed brain was kind of working out, oh, how's a writer done that? And, you know, how, how brilliantly that's phrased and how brilliantly that creates the image in your head. All of which is making me sound like a very clever little child. I wasn't particularly... <laughs> <laughs> I liked uh, I liked the boy bands and uh, ice cream and all the rest of it, but um, yeah, yeah, I did. I, I did read a lot, and I realise now that I think I was putting an awful lot in the bank for later that I didn't realise. So that's good. Love that, yeah. um, Vari. One of one of the hallmarks of your writing is uh, your your clever wit. Um, you know, when you crack open one of your books, you you know that you're going to have. Um, a great time with it and and not that that it doesn't have uh, that, that you don't tackle serious subject matter but you you allow us to uh, to have fun with it and and to uh, you, you always look for moments of levity um, oh, do you attribute great. do you attribute your sense of humor to um, uh, you know to, to any particular thing uh, is, is it a family trait where um, <laughs> where do you think your sense of humor that, comes from? That's a very good question. I can almost hear a sort of ghostly gallery of uh, snarky laughter coming from my family with you asking that. Um, <laughs> I suppose. I mean, it's a, it's a combination of things. I think it's um I think it's a British terror of taking yourself too seriously, which mm. you know I'm sure will even be obvious in our, our conversation today. I think you're you're an awful lot better at charming sincerity. And in Britain, we really struggle with that. The minute we hear ourselves, we we we're almost immediately thinking, "Who do you think you are?" <laughs> Taking <the kiss. laughs> and I think that you can see that in my writing. I think that a lot of what you're you so kindly say is humorous. I think a lot of it is me sort of trying to look at everything from all angles and almost debunk myself while I'm I'm writing things. Um, and I think the other part of it um, is to do with authorial voice. I think my humor started to come through when I when I found my voice and finding my voice was really a sort of I, I was forced to put pretension aside really and be prepared. I think it's quite re it's quite revealing and it's quite tough to write in a voice that just sounds like you. And I think a lot of writers starting out, novelists starting out have that problem. Um, and I originally started writing in quite a kind of po-faced, self-conscious, straight-jacketed, I am telling you an important story kind of way. And it was, didn't fit me at all. And it was only when I shed that and I started being prepared to to have a laugh that I sounded more like me. So maybe that's it. Maybe the humour is also me desperately sort of trying to tear down the wall a bit between the author and the reader and just speak more directly and more honestly. And the voice that I do that in is quite humorous, if that makes any sense. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Vari, on your way to becoming a novelist, uh, you you took a... Uh, um, a, a path that uh, that a lot of novelists have taken and and I love talking to people that spent time in journalism especially when those journalists go on uh, to become novelists uh, what do you think that uh, that your time in journalism uh, what what sorts of uh, tools do you think that you picked up from journalism that that help you today as a novelist 
Oh, I think it was I think it was invaluable because I think any job you do, it doesn't necessarily have to be writing, but any job you do is obviously it's life experience and it's dealing with people and it's, um, you know, collisions with lives you might not have other, you know, other people's lives you might not have otherwise had. I think where journalism is particularly valuable is um, that you inevitably just meet such a range of people. You know, I was a reporter before I was a feature writer. And if there was a house on fire or there was a court case or somebody, you know, won an award for outstanding bravery, there I'd be being annoying with my notepad and pen. Um, but it sort of it taught you loads of things and it taught you to sort of win people's trust and to try and work out what makes them tick and to see an event from their point of view. Um, and when you um, obviously when you quote people, you choose you you have quite a lot of artistic control. You are you don't write the dialogue. You get into trouble if you do that. But um, you get to select the quotes, uh, set the scene, right. the reader, all of that kind of thing. And I sort of say I didn't realise it at the time at all. But I look back at it now and I think it was kind of like you know I, I don't know if the the phrase is the same with you, but uh, we call it riding a bike with stabilisers when you're little. Um, which when you we, you know we call it training wheels. But training yeah, wheels that's yeah. it thank you um so um it was like riding a bike with training wheels for fiction um because though obviously i was given a real life story to write up each time and um you know as i say my subjects supplied the dialogue and, and so on and so forth but um yeah it, it was it was an incredible grounding for for going on to actually make up stories and also to get a sense i suppose of what feels real because I have a theory that fiction writers have an awful lot in common with compulsive liars. <laughs> um, and I think that there's there's sort of, I mean, it's funny enough, I mean, in journalism, you actually do have to have an eye for spotting. At the local level that I was at, anyway, you have to have an eye for spotting someone who is telling you a tall tale because they could really sure. waste your time or in a worst case scenario, get you into trouble with the law. Um, so, yeah, it was just uh, basically, you know, uh, without sounding too cheesy, if you're going to be a student of human nature and you're going to be a student of what stories are worth telling and how people respond to them then yeah I, I don't think you could really do better and of course you know David Simon I'm not going to for a moment pretend my uh, creations are on a par with the wire but what David Simon showed so brilliantly as well is that you get that almost kind of like geological slices through society all the different ways that different things work you know the, you've got your city hall and you've got your tough projects and you've got your different bits and uh, again that's brilliant brilliant for a writer who might otherwise just sit in their nice little house in a nice suburb and not venture out and meet people so, yeah, Vari, we, um, you know, writers hear this advice, um, and, and I don't, I don't, not sure who said it originally, uh, but it's been repeated by lots of people that to be a writer, you really need to read a lot, and you need to write a lot. You need to practice that, and and you need to read what others have done, and and you know, sort yeah. of, um, get that. But I like to add a third to to that, and and the third rule that that I think is that you need to to talk and listen to people um, a lot. It, yeah. You know, you need to not only um, read a lot, but but listen to real life, listen to to people yeah. around you and, yeah. and interact with people. And I think that's vitally important. And, uh, yeah. and, and what better way to do that than as a journalist? Um, I mean, you get Absolutely. to, you know, people will say things to you that they won't say to any, anyone else. And, and people will also hide things from you. <laughs> 
<laughs> absolutely so. I, I do you know i think that's a brilliant point hank and i think actually i wish in a way the, the advice would now move a little bit more towards your emphasis than the you need to read a lot because i think that's become so hackneyed and i think it's almost at the risk of making people think oh if, if i've not read all the classics and i don't you haven't read all the kind of you know the booker prize winners this year then you know, I've, I've not done my homework. And I, I agree with you because actually other human beings are the ultimate homework here. And it's endlessly useful to see how other writers have interpreted life around them. But you're right. What's wrong with interpreting life yourself? And um, exactly. I think from listening to people, as you say, what's so interesting is um, how people justify, how people rationalise. That is very useful for the kind of novel I write because um a lot of the time what I'm trying to do is take you on the same journey that the protagonist goes on in terms of reinterpreting people and situations around them. And I think you can only do that plausibly if you really pay attention to how do people deceive each other? How do people lie? How do people justify doing things they perhaps shouldn't? Um, I think you've got to get that right. And I think readers really respond when they feel that's been well observed. Because I, I know how annoying I find it when a book's packed full of you know just implacable marvel villains not that marvel villains aren't great fun but you know <laughs> at the end of the day <laughs> wilson fisk is a bit of an outlier in terms of bad people and i find it a lot more interesting to write i would much rather write a good person doing a bad thing um yeah. and telling themselves it's okay for them to do it and and how do you learn how people do that or well, you you look around you I say as if I've never done a bad thing. <laughs> of course <laughs> not. I'm going to hurt you. I just have to watch all the vice around me. <laughs> your your first book that you published, you had me at hello. Uh, was that the first book that you had written? It was a joint um, full full length manuscript with an an unpublished uh, work that I still have somewhere, um, which was based. It was more of a thriller, and it was based on. Um, a, a newsroom, an office, write what you know. Um, so yes, yes and no. Um, I, I don't know. I, I suppose we're allowed to count full-length manuscripts that didn't get sure. picked up. <laughs> so yeah, so it was, I kind of tried out two genres at once and I always feel, um, I don't know, it's a funny one because whenever I get asked about it and I admit it, I always feel, feel like some interviewers have thought I'm a bit fake, like they've gone, ooh, that's interesting. So you you were trying out two genres, so maybe you're just trying it on with a romantic comedy. But I think a lot of writers have to do that. I think that they don't naturally know what suits them immediately. And um, yeah, so I was trying out two different things because I, I mean, I absolutely love watching. Um, it was it came from um, watching a TV drama called State of Play, which was made into a film with Russell Crowe. Yes. Um, yeah, and I, I always thought a newsroom was just, I think we're underserved for newsroom dramas. Um, and I always thought it would make an absolutely fantastic setting for a thriller. So I, I tried that out first, but um, I think, I think to be perfectly honest, it's, it, it was, um, it was just less a natural fit for me than romantic comedy. But I still very much enjoyed writing it. Who knows? Might one day, one day, get it out of a drawer. But <laughs> Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website your home on the web where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, 
update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Well, that, that brings up a great point, and, and uh, I, I didn't know that you had originally uh, written uh, a thriller as well as romantic comedy. But, um, I, you know, people will will look at that, and like you you said, you know, um, you know, people kind of raise an eyebrow at, uh, you know, or are you just, you know, finding what's the the most lucrative uh, place in the market at at the point? Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with writing to the market. There's, no. um, you know, but, um. We as as human beings, um, I, you know, I don't read just one genre. I, I don't watch just one genre of movie. Yeah. I I love romantic comedies. Uh, my wife and I will 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 watch things and just have a great time, and then we'll watch a thriller and yeah. um, you know, all sorts of things. We we have very wide taste, and and we sample yeah. from those all the time. So why why can't a writer do the same thing? Uh, I I've, I've never understood. Why people want to pigeonhole, um, and and I understand the market and and all of that stuff, but you know people have varied interests. Allow people to to explore those. Absolutely, and and the other the other thing that shouldn't be a dirty secret at all, but feels feels like it is, and I've spoken to other writers about this, is often the desire to write comes before the idea. You think yeah. I want to write a novel, I want to be a novelist, I want to be an author, and then you set about finding the idea that's going to carry your interest and the reader's interest for a hundred thousand words. But for some reason, again, people feel ashamed. It's like no, no, that's that's an impure way round to do it. You should you should have the idea first, and the idea should make you realise you want to write a novel. But it's not not necessarily how it works i don't think it's how it works for most people to be honest uh, I, same the same uh i, I can reiterate that so, uh, so you know we've done over a thousand episodes of of this show and uh i think that desire to write almost always comes before that golden idea and and that's one reason i asked you if uh if you had me at hello was the first book that you had written because there are just about every author has uh, a book or three or 10, uh, you know, that are sitting in a desk drawer or a trunk, uh, you know, somewhere that just, it, it wasn't the right idea for the right time or, or, or whatever it is for, for whatever reason it didn't get out there. Um, yeah. it, but, but a writer writes, you know, that's, that's what that's you good. do. Yeah. And anyway, that's, that was a side tangent. Um, <laughs> You had me at hello. Um, when when the idea for that book came together, um, what normally comes to you first? Um, is it is it a character? Is it uh, a plot device uh, idea? And then 
you know, you start casting characters for that idea. How, what is that first kernel, um, you know, where the story begins like for you? That's a very interesting question. Um, and I think because of the beautifully clear way you've asked it, I think it's come to me that I think the most honest answer is the plot device. Which I haven't. I've, I've been. I've not. I've cast around for an answer to this before, and I think that's probably the most honest one. The, the plot device. So, when I wrote "You Had Me at Hello," the um, the thing that came to me is that I, um, I I had a particularly wonderful time at university. It was just I made really good friends. I loved the city. Um, I didn't think I'd I'd take to it like a duck to water because I'm not particularly good at um, change and new things, and and I just absolutely loved it. And it's like this golden time in my memory. And um, one day, uh, daydreaming, I thought, God, imagine if you met the love of your life at university. It didn't work out, you know, for whatever reason, you didn't you didn't get together. Um, and then you, then you bumped into them again 10 years later. And imagine the intensity of that period in your life combined with being associated with that person. I almost anthropomorphized my university experience as a man. <laughs> and, and so I went from that to that was when then I started to build up around it. And so then I chose my heroine um, who had to be share, share some of my vices such as uh, procrastination and lack of assertiveness um, and build it around. And the reason I went for, um, I made her a court reporter in the story because obviously I was conversant with what a court reporter did because I did a bit of it when I was at the local paper. But I also had this very high flown pretentious idea, which just goes to show how many things fall by the wayside on because I don't think this would have ever occurred to anyone reading the book, um, that she can't come to decisions in her personal life and she can't decide if it's right to go after this man again. Um, and so I thought it would be nice if her job was this clever contrast where she's in a courtroom, other people make the decisions and the verdict is guilty or not guilty black or white <laughs> it all seemed very clever conceptually at the outset I don't think it's occurred to a single person who's read the book which is perfectly fair enough so yeah so that's kind of how it happened a hook of an idea which I now realize the value of having a hook land on you on a bus journey like that um and then yeah the heroine the, the characters around it that best serve that story and then I sort of flesh out some of the detail but I've never been I'm, I'm so envious if any authors have an answer for these things that go goes I oh, just stare out of a ring Button window and I then the whole idea for the secret history came to me <laughs> like you get because it's never that easy for me it's, <laughs> it's far more an unglamorous um casting around of sort of fitting bits of lego would you have lego sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. lego together and try to go does that work does that is that if I built a little car there that can run um yeah, so so, but, that, but that's really interesting when you say, you know, what is it that comes to you first? I think I now realise, yes, it is the plot device. And once again, I'm so, I'm wondering, does that actually sound really cynical? But <laughs> no, no, not at all. I I think that I mean, we're just being honest. That's that's what. Um, yeah. You know, everyone comes to the craft differently, and and stories, you know, at, at the end of the day, stories are are still just kind of magic. You know, they, they just kind of. Oh, yeah. And and we just get to be along for the ride, and you know everyone's experience with that is a little different. Um, yeah. You did mention something um, a, a moment ago that that I find interesting, and and I've often thought about this. Um, your idea of what the story is and what the meaning of that story, um, you know, ultimately means to you. Um, yeah can be very different from the reader's experience with a story. And maybe yeah. they take away something completely different that 
that you weren't even, um, you know, uh, not that you weren't aware of, that's not the right phrase, but you, you didn't consider, or I, I I don't know. Um, what do you think about the, the way that a reader's experience with a story can be very different from the writer's experience? And, and does it ever frustrate you, you know, as the creator of the thing, do you ever feel like, no, you can't, you, you know, you can experience that story <laughs> no, this way. This is what I intended. Not, not it doesn't. It doesn't um, frustrate me at all. It delights me. I think that when somebody sees something, finds something that you perhaps didn't didn't uh, consciously put there or weren't aware that you were working towards. I mean, it's, it seems quite obvious. But with my book just last night, I got tagged in a review a few weeks ago on Twitter, and somebody had said, "Well, it's two love stories. It's the love story to the lost friend, and it's the it's the the, the later romance in the book." And I thought, God, I I never framed it that explicitly in in my head as I was writing it but that's a beautiful summary that's exactly what it is it's two love stories and I and I hadn't really realized that so um yeah it's it's I think it's just a wonderful thing and it's surely part of the reason that you want to tell stories and that you're first of all you're trying to communicate and hopefully you manage that but if people find even more in what in what you've created then then all to the good and you know perhaps Stephen King's got um, a phrase uh, the boys in the basement for your uh, subconscious maybe your subconscious is toiling away putting all kinds of things in there that you're you're unaware of which is another lovely thought well it's a lovely thought as long as you're not revealing anything terrible about yourself (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly um (laughs) Vari, after publishing your first book and then following that up with a second and and a third, and I I, I believe yeah. uh, is is just last night your fifth published novel. Just last night is my seventh. seventh. I had to really I had to really think about that. <laughs> That's at at some point um, along the journey. Um, when did you you realize that that you had established a voice? And um, you know when in 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 looking at, uh, at at information about your books and how people uh, you know have received your books, people fall in love um, with with you and your voice, and I, I've seen that over and over and over mm-hmm. again Thank on you. the internet. Is that the people talk about um, uh, you know a, a Vari McFarlane book, and uh, you know a new one's coming out, so I'm automatically going to buy it. I don't oh. care what the book is about; I, it, it's a Vari McFarlane book, so I have to have it. Um, oh. When, it's a when did dream. You, yeah, I know it's crazy. Um, but when did you start realizing that that you had found your niche and and that your voice uh, was was strong enough that people would latch onto it the way that they do? Oh, well, that's that is an amazing question. Um, partly because I think the answer is you're never really sure. You're certainly never complacent. And I'm I'm probably like a lot of authors, I permanently think I'm on the verge of my my first disaster all the time. I always my friends and my partner are so bored of hearing it now. I'm like, this one's gonna bomb, this one's awful. They're like, you always say this. <laughs> uh, so I so I never complacent. Um a more kind of uh, detailed, honest answer is I um had the classic second novel terror. Um, I I just you know from from the incredible roller coaster high of oh my god I've got published oh my god it's sold a few oh my god people seem to like it um, I suddenly came crashing back down to the reality of it and now you're writing your second one on a commercial schedule so not you haven't got your years of tinkering around um, and I just became immediately convinced they liked who they liked were Ben and Rachel who they liked were my characters they'll absolutely hate it the minute I'm um, I'm writing different characters this is all over. 
Um, so my uh, my second one came out and some friends got um, their hands on some early copies and friends and family and and the kind of people who you know I know them well enough they'll stop me in the street and say what they thought of it but they I, I'm not close enough to them that they'd feel the need to lie I don't think um, and a few of them were like I do you know I, I hope it's not I'm not offending you I, I like it more than the first one and I was like whoa and very far from offending me this started to blow me away I was like hang on a second here they like this one more um, and I was I was genuinely astonished I, I didn't think that was that I just had not considered that possibility um and as I carried on each time I would have the terror but I started to realize oh no what they like is your voice um they what they like is you not the characters not the specific idea which is just kind of amazing to me really um but I I would hope I'm not complacent and I I think something that readers always want is first of all they want you to genuinely love it yourself I think that the worst thing you can do is get cynical and crank something out and think oh, oh yeah. you're like, I can't really I can't really be bothered but maybe you'll like this um and second of all I really try and push myself with each of the books I each time I try and bite off more than I can chew really which might, might sometimes might undo me but um I try and push forward so so I never feel like I can just rest on the laurels of they like my voice. I'll, I'll just carry on writing in that voice and just, you know, sort of knock anything out to a formula. Like I very much feel that like I have to keep earning that goodwill. Um, but it is, it's a wonderful thing to feel I have it. And um, my fifth, would it be my fifth novel? <laughs> Don't you forget about me. Yes, I think it was my fifth. Um, it was at the after a particularly tough year, uh, 2016, um, tough tough privately tough publicly do you remember you know it was the year the year of brexit and the year of um your 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 president your last one not this one oh, yeah. <laughs> and the year all the famous people died and it was just god it was horrible um and that was a really really tough year and um i stalled i had the, a really torturous process with don't you forget about me and that came out and um that got me my deal with uh, william morrow in the states um and that again did did well and that was another moment of I think this is going to be okay. Like even when you think it's all going wrong, people will come back and listen to you, which which is the most, you know, it is just the most extraordinary privilege. I know there's always a danger of sounding a bit cheesy at moments like this, but it is absolutely true. You know, it's just astonishing that people want to read my books. So <laughs> that's all. But yeah, as, as, as self-aware as I can be about it all, I suppose. <laughs> well, and, and uh, realizing that, Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, realizing that is a it is a real gift, you know, knowing that uh, that people are are reading for a reason, and um, you know, uh, all all the self aware things aside, um, that's that's a great place to to get to. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I've been so, I've been fortunate with my um my publishers as well in that they've never ever asked me to do the same thing twice they've never said that sounds a bit too much for you or that sounds a bit too dark a topic they've always said oh that's really interesting that's an adventure yeah perhaps you should you should try that and I think that's been really important because I have not had that confidence on my own <laughs> had they said oh no romantic comedies no that's that's not acceptable rain that in don't do that I would have 100% listened and gone okay I won't do it <laughs> so it's, it's a nice combination as well of being creatively pushed a little bit I think so your your new book just last night um it is a um uh, it is a, a fantastic book we, we've got this um this Thank group you. of friends and and i think we all can relate um and that, that's another thing about your books is they're they're so relatable you drop us into a scenario that 
that we feel like that that any one of us could um, i mean this this could be me and my friend group you know um <laughs> it it just it just feels so comfortable uh, and and i mean that as a compliment um yeah. but uh but eve justin susie and ed um tell me about them where where do they come from and um how, how did you land on these characters um well i think eve is a is just thinly veiled vari in a lot of her tastes habits and attitudes um and Susie is very much that girl at school um I have been I have been friends with that girl I have never been that girl you know the kind of um I think in the the, there's a joke in the book about how she's Laura Laura Palmer crossed with um Jane Austen's Emma it's like the kind of the prom queen girl but she's very sardonic and funny and quick with it and um it says a lot that she's chosen Eve as, as her best friend. Um, but I thought she was, I, you're always kind of looking for the dazzling contrast, I suppose. And Eve and Susie are very much the kind of dazzling contrasts. And then you've got Ed as the Mr. Nice, the kind of, you know, the Dawson of the Creek, <laughs> the stand-up guy um, who will be there, who kind of knits them all together, the, the substitute father. Um, and then Justin uh the kind of caustic wit and the outrageous one and this is this is a character that i routinely write in ensembles i'm always looking for the one that will be outrageous and rude and say the thing you know um what what they say say the quiet part out loud that's the modern phrase for it isn't it (laughs) justin is they were quiet part out loud Um, and you're always kind of looking because that character always kind of cuts through like the lemon juice or any sugar um and and that kind of the idea of two they, they were two at school two groups of uh, best friends so you've got even Susie as the girls and Ed and uh, Justin as the boys and they've kind of glommed on together and become this little un, undefeatable four. Um, I really liked I've I've written a lot of ensembles and a lot of friendship groups but I've never written the continuity friendship group before that met at uh, sixth form I'm not sure what you would call that in America the age sixteen to eighteen at school. Sure. Um, and, and then high school yeah high school friends that are are still knocking around together in the mid 30s with a slight question that i didn't fully dig into in the book i'm not sure um that whether or not it's always a great thing to have that comfort zone friendship group that sometimes it can hold you back a little bit there's a there's a very caustic remark in it by uh, the uh, fiance ed's Beyonce Hester saying, you know, it stops you all looking for for partners because you're almost each other's de facto partners, um, which is, I love giving. I love giving a potentially astute observation to a nasty character, (laughs) (laughs) leaving you in that funny gray area of they might have a point. (laughs) It's like that onion headline of, what is it, the worst person you know just made a great point. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. So, sorry, that's a very long and rambling answer to saying I always love writing ensembles and love writing friendship groups but you are always looking for that kind of you know very defined contrasts within it of temperament and disposition I I suppose they all have a love of um, irreverent wit in it they were all a bit outrageous and a bit sweary and a bit rude because that's just fun to write but um but yeah but in in their disposition they're all very different I would say well, yeah. you, you've got this great friend group that we all can relate to and, and we all, um, you know, want to connect with in some way. And then you do something horrible to these people. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> that, don't they? <laughs> yeah. You, you know, at, at what point do you do you realize oh, these these people are too perfect? I've got to do something really bad to them. 
I had, well, I, I tell you with the particular bad thing, um, I actually did have real uh, regret because I really liked the character and I wanted to keep writing them. Um, and hopefully they do remain a presence and a voice within the novel. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it, it upset me, but then there's that terrible authorial thing where you're like, if this is upsetting me, I'm probably doing something right. <laughs> it's probably going to translate to the reader that I don't want to do this. <laughs> so, yeah. Man, um, so when when you're writing, um, do you consider yourself a, a pantser or a plotter? Do do you do you know the the trajectory of the book from the beginning, or are you discovering it along the way in the same way that we readers do? I am. I would say I am seventy percent plotter and thirty percent pantser. Um, I could never just be full pantser. Um, I don't really know how people to do that. Um, I need to know. I, I, I have a destination in mind and there's big things that are going to happen along the way that will get us to that destination. Um, and possibly just last night, it's more obvious than others because the, the ending is deliberately designed to match the beginning, to bring bring the, the story full circle and put the person back where they started in some ways and perhaps but emotionally not not back where they started um so yeah so I so I know where I'm going um and I yeah I I also think of it as in in the journey of the book if I'm pointing things out that I want you to look at if I'm building you towards feeling a certain way or seeing certain things I generally want to be doing that for a reason um so that is all for me that is all part of plotting i need to know why i'm telling you this in chapter three it makes it sound like a thriller which is ridiculous and obviously it's not that um but i still think that the disciplines of of books with twists and reveals are actually very useful for all writers um so that is why i I get it get it all sorted and from a practical point of view um when you're writing on schedule you actually need to be fairly sure you're not going to get three quarters of the way through and realize you need to unpick it <laughs> so just from a point of view I think an awful lot of authors on on kind of schedules like mine would would be plotters um I leave 30 percent pantsing because first of all you need to leave yourself some surprises and I think that when um authors do those very exhaustive this is going to happen in every single chapter I think you can start to deaden your own excitement for writing the thing so I, I would never do that I also think that um, you don't have all your good ideas up front. I think some things, some things will organically grow um, and you've got to be open to that. And if you've plotted it to the nth degree and you've not left yourself any space, then then you can't kind of organically go with follow a good idea. Um, it was quite early in the process, but just, just to give a specific example, in just last night, the fiance Hester is a dreadful, is a dreadful nightmare and quite a, an acerbic person to write. In my early drafts, she was a really nice person because I thought that it made Eve's dilemma with Ed all the more horrendous if it was she's a really nice person and she likes me and she wants me to be her bridesmaid and, and all the rest of it. Um, I thought she was gonna have a terrible time of it, but it didn't work. And I think that's another thing that authors kind of keep as a dirty secret. Sometimes the cake will not bake and you just cannot work out why. Um, And then I remember sitting there morbidly staring at a chapter not working and changing Hester around and having Hester walk into the pub and say, who's drunk then? Eve, you look drunk. (laughs) And he's just like, God, I hate her. And and at that moment, it was like, ping, and there's Hester. She bounces off the page. So if I'd plotted something right up to the end of the book that required Hester to be an incredibly nice person, I wouldn't have had the the freedom of manoeuvre to do that. So I would say 
yeah, give give yourself a, a I mean, God, I'm, I'm not giving advice to other people. Whatever works for anybody else is, is what's right for them. But for me, what works is to have a sort of on a structural safety net and have the shape of the thing and have the big reveals and the big moments sorted out um, and then give myself some creative space within that. So, yeah, can't can't just say plotter, can't just say pantser. Bit of both, but heavily more on the plotter side, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I and I see, I, I'm like you. I I see the benefits of both. Um, and I I think I kind of weave in between there or take things from from both camps. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Vari, um, with this being your seventh book, uh, how has your process changed uh, over the course mm. of those seven books? Um, uh, you know, obviously, um, you're you're approaching your your daily writing differently now than from the beginning. But are mm. there are, are there changes that that you uh, you know purposefully made or just noticed that you have um, grown in your uh, daily habits throughout this journey? Mm. Do you know what, Hank? I've realized that there is quite a simple and short answer to that. Um, no, I haven't changed. I'm still <laughs> a procrastinator who drinks loads of black coffee, runs up to the deadline crying and trying to write it all overnight. I will always be that person. I think I've come to come to a come to peace with that. Uh, the one thing that I have definitely changed from the start, and it's a very simple thing, and this is, I I'm, I never usually uh, give advice because first of all, I don't think I'm qualified. And second of all, I just think advice on the whole can be a bad thing. Um, but I would definitely give this advice to any any um, writer. I've, I, in my first novel, I think I would have believed that if I overheard a clever remark or an interesting thing or a funny joke or I thought of a good line, I would go, oh, far that away, my brain. I'll remember that later. I have no idea why it is, but there is an, an, a delete button demon in your head. And if you think I will go home, I remember that you never, ever do. For some reason, you can you can remember a bad dad joke that your dad made 10 years ago. But if you think of a clever line from your book, I promise you in 48 hours, you'll be scrabbling around going oh god I think, I think it was something to do with a cat I can't remember so what I always have now is as soon as um I finish one book I open a word file and I start a notes and jokes file for the next one um and I just find it so useful because um it's not just like I would say a good third of it never ends up in the finished thing anyway but it reminds you of a thought you had or a character beat or a voice of a character um, and when you go back to it like your own little personal pinterest board it's really really useful um so yeah so but but now i would literally get up in the middle of the night if i thought of a line good enough to warrant it and write it into that file knowing full well i would have forgotten it by the time i wake up <laughs> yeah Oh, that's that's amazing. I'm just making myself sound really unprofessional, Hank. <laughs> I'm trying to be honest. <laughs> no, no, I, I, you know, um, I think I think pulling back the curtain like this is is important. Um, you I know, for absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just last night is available everywhere today. Um, how how do you celebrate uh, a book launch? Oh, well, that's that's a very interesting question. Um. I'm but <laughs> differently given we're in the pandemic and there's nowhere to go out to. <laughs> I think um, you're a bit more opened up at the moment, aren't you? But um, it's uh, in Britain. We're it's easing May open. Easing open, yeah. May it's May seventeenth um, yeah. for here for for kind of indoors bars and restaurants, and um, it's 
Um, we've just had a very rainy bank holiday weekend where the, you could only sit outdoors and so with all the rain there really wasn't any point. So normally I would I would um, use it as an excuse to go out for a, for a nice meal or have some champagne but I've got to be honest in lockdown it's all a bit on pause. Um, yeah. Sorry, that what an unglamorous answer. That's the truth, well, though. <laughs> well, we'll celebrate with you. How about that? Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> when, when you're hearing this, there's going to be links uh, in the show notes of this episode where you can go out and grab just last night. I know you're going to love this novel. Um, it This is a, a must purchase. Um, Vari, if, if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, is there a place where they can find you online? Um, the the most useful thing I would have thought to, um, if you're going to look me up, would be, apart from um, Amazon, which is very obvious, I know, sorry, you've, <laughs> Amazon, but um, Twitter, uh, my, where my handle is my name, which is spelled M-H-A-I-R-I, and then M-C-F, Barry McKeff, um, yeah, because I'm generally available, and uh, there's links to all my books on there, and yeah. So social media, the terrible, the terrible time suck for all authors. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put links uh, to those places as well. Uh, Vori, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show and congratulations on the book launch today. Thank you for your brilliant and incisive questions. I've really enjoyed answering them. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no further than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical, yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.